the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, February the 26th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on February 26, 1993, a truck bomb been built by Islamic extremists. It exploded in the parking garage of the North Tower of New York's World Trade Center. It killed six people and injured about a thousand. The plan had been, and they had engineered it to do so, the plan had been to topple the North Tower into the South Tower. That didn't happen. However, both structures were destroyed, as we all know, in 9-11, eight years later. Today in 1848, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels published the, the Communist Manifesto in London. Today in 1904, the United States and Panama proclaimed a treaty under which the U.S. agreed to undertake efforts to build a ship canal across the Panama Isthmus. Today in 1933, ground was broken for the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And today in 1951, the 22nd Amendment was added to the Constitution that limits the presidency to two terms. That was a kind of a thing that George Washington started after he had served two terms. They pleaded with him to serve more. In fact, some wanted him to become king. They wanted to change the Constitution and make him the king. And he said, no, I am not a king. Some say that he said, there's only one king, talking about Jesus Christ. I'm not sure he said that, but I'm pretty sure he believed that. But anyway, he said, no, two terms is enough. And um, in 1951, that was added as an amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Today, 1952, Prime Minister Winston Churchill announced that Britain had developed its own atomic bomb. Today, in 1994, a jury in San Antonio acquitted 11 followers of David Koresh. Remember him? He had that cult there located just uh, out of uh, Associated Press this morning, says San Antonio. I'm thinking that was, oh, the jury was in San Antonio, but he was close to Waco uh, where they actually existed. But it was a fiasco. Janet Reno was the attorney general under President Clinton in those days, and she totally mishandled that thing. It was, ended up in a disaster. The country, I don't agree with anything David Koresh taught. Don't misunderstand. But, boy, the way that was handled was really bad. And lives were lost that should not have been lost. And then they tried to blame it on Koresh and his cult member leaders. But it was really, I feel, the at the feet of the... Attorney General Janet Reno and the way she handled it. The fires raged and people were inside those buildings and good grief. But that's the liberal progressive way. Today in 1998, a jury in Amarillo, Texas, rejected a $11 million lawsuit that was brought by Texas cattlemen. They blamed Oprah, Oprah Winfrey in her talk show for a price fall on beef. She did this extensive segment on food safety. And left the impression that if you eat beef, you're going to get mad cow disease. 
Well, the cattlemen didn't like it. I don't blame them. And they tried to correct that with an $11 million lawsuit, but the court didn't accept it. One year ago today, as Christians around the world marked the start of Lent with Ash Wednesday, worshipers found churches closed. Everything in the culture had pretty much changed. One year ago today, I think, we learned just how fragile freedom really is. Freedom is something that needs to be nourished, helped, believed in, and sometimes fought for. It is indeed fragile. Our founders knew that. They said that. We know it today. Interestingly enough, Amazon, Jeff Bezos' Amazon, has been one of the leaders in racial equality, inclusion, and all of this. I found it interesting that Amazon showed its limits when it comes to its dedication to diversity and inclusion. This month, during Black History Month, they decided to discontinue. They jerked it off their platforms. They own a lot of the streaming platforms. Amazon does. I mean, lots. They control most, not all, but most of what's on the internet, actually, at the bottom line. But they took a PBS documentary about Justice Clarence Thomas. It's titled, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. They jerked it off. And they're not really clear about why they did it. They just took it off. So much for Amazon's claim to building a more inclusive culture. And the fact that a month is given to Black History Month. Amazon decided they didn't want to stream this. It's a very inspiring documentary. It was well done. PBS did it. And I was surprised. They were somewhat honest in the theme, the narrative of the, of the piece, the documentary. The reason I think Amazon didn't say this, of course, is because Justice Clarence Thomas wasn't saying what they wanted him to say. And he wasn't. He was talking about real freedom, real liberty, real inclusion, actual non-discrimination. He's a conservative. And he's a deeply devout Catholic. That was the problem. And Jeff Bezos, just that just doesn't fit what he believes and what he wants all of us out here to believe as well. At least that's my opinion. Got this note in the mail. Thank you for your kind notes. We get many of them. I read them all. Dear Gary, in 2018, my husband, and I want to be careful here. I don't want to. We never mention names, by the way, on uh, your names on this program or anything personal about you. That's your business, not anyone else's. But, dear Gary, in 2018, my husband and I purchased uh, a home in Idaho, uh, it says where, preparing for retirement in 2021. As of May 1st, Idaho will become our new home. Praise the Lord. They're moving from Washington State. We will continue to support your your uh, your ministry and will listen to you on the computer. Thank you for your fight to make true the word of God heard to all and expose the lies and evil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 stands true today more than ever. 
Well, indeed it does. That verse, as you probably know, says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? Verse 12 says what they are. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Tells us to get dressed up, put on the whole armor, the whole thing. Have our loins girt about with truth, our breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, the shield of faith. It's a great portion of scripture, and they refer to that here. They conclude, they said, your broadcast gives us strength to face whatever comes our way. God bless you and be with you always. So they're moving out of the areas that where this program covers, but they are going to continue to support and listen to the program. Thank you so much. Others have said that as well. I also got this letter, and we do often, from a young, I believe she's a younger woman. The head of the letter, the piece that it's written on, the little notepad that it's written on, says, Savior, tougher than nails, and it has three railroad spikes. It has the verse, Revelation, I'm telling you this for a reason, you'll see in a minute. It has the verse, Revelation 118, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. <laughs> Mr. Randall, keep up the good work, exclamation. I'm sure God smiles when he hears your radio broadcast. I hope so. I'm sure God smiles when he hears your radio broadcast. God bless you and Mrs. Randall and everybody at Faith and Freedom Ministry, your sister in Christ. The reason I mention that is this person said a $5 contribution to the ministry. There are several others in her circumstances that do as well in different institutions. She's at the Washington Corrections Center for Women in Gig Harbor. We hear from people in other institutions as well. They not only listen to this program, but they support it with a few dollars, and they don't have much. To all of you, and there are several of you who do this, thank you. It touches my heart. It means more to me than I can tell you. And to all of you who support this ministry, thank you. It means a great deal to me. It, it, makes, it means a great deal to our budget. I've said this often, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. Thank you. Thank you for sustaining this ministry. We need your help. More and more people are wanting to hear this ministry. I am humbled, and we are trying to be faithful in getting this to as many people as possible. We need to be informed as God's people. And for those of you who have stood with us from the beginning, and some, many of you who have come online as we've expanded this program and expanded it into other areas a little bit, thank you. And thank you for writing that check or going online and making your donation each month. This wouldn't happen without you. Thank you. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Or you can go online to our website. It's Faith and Freedom. It's faithandfreedom.us. 
just go on there, and the first page that comes up, there's a couple of places you can click and make a donation online. It's easy. It'll prompt you, and even I can do it. And I'm anyway, you can do it too. So thank you so much. We need your help. I could have titled a piece that I wrote today. It's on our website. It goes out to thousands of people. I could have titled it Hopeless in Seattle, but I didn't. I resisted it. But it is about Seattle and their hopelessness. Como News began on Wednesday. They began their feature article with this, and I'm quoting Como News Wednesday. Day after day, night after night, weeks turning into months of protests. We've seen various leaders and organizers come and go, including City Council Member Kashama Sawant, directing hundreds of people into City Hall. The article reflects a hopelessness as despair. The article goes on to say Seattle is exhausted and wounded, asking, what can we do? Where can we turn? Concluding that it all will probably continue because history tends to repeat itself. That's true. It does. That's why we do this segment every morning on this program about what happened in history. And so many of you mention it when you write to me. You say, man, I love that little piece about what happened in history today. It brings back to our memory. But it also it also tends to give us some corrective thinking in the current times if we know what happened in history. A lot has been said about that, and I won't go on about it, but it's very important, and that's why we do it. The article continues, Como News, Seattle. Rallying cries are constantly changing. One moment, one moment it's Black Lives Matter and calls for homeless reform. Then it's defund the police, raise the minimum wage. This is not a conservative Christian ministry speaking. This is Como News in Seattle. Continuing their lament, this journalist writes, and this is not an op-ed piece. This journalist writes, public parks and city blocks occupied and overrun the homes of elected officials like Mayor Jenny Durkin and Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos are targeted. He continues, nearly one year after George Floyd's death sparked social justice demonstrations and emboldened others to mobilize, Seattle is exhausted and wounded. Many city leaders remain silent and on the sidelines. From the business community to neighbors living in hot zones like Capitol Hill, some of the stakeholders are planning and preparing for what could be ahead, even without support from their elected officials. Some community leaders are saying, quote, we are absolutely not taking it anymore, while others say, we have the power to stop it. So why aren't we coming together? And one citizen leader says, the article tells us, until these people are prosecuted and held accountable, I don't see anything changing. Neither does the journalist. He continues with this article, quote, After all the social unrest and ongoing protests, progress or success remains undefined and elusive. He concludes the article with this, quote, One thing is clear. It's difficult to predict the future of demonstrations in Seattle, but history has a tendency to repeat itself. Indeed, it does. Similar articles are beginning to gurgle up through the blue haze of other so-called progressive cities like Chicago, Detroit, Portland, and others. I'm not a politician. I've been an ordained minister, pastor, evangelist, 
spent a lot of years on television, Christian television program. But I know one thing. I'm certain of where the answer ultimately lies for Seattle, the despair, for Portland, Chicago, Detroit, you name it. Author Ben Shapiro, not a Christian, doesn't profess to be, but a conservative and an intellectual, he's addressed the political and the cultural root of this problem. I want to quote a couple of things he said, then let's get to the real root of the problem. He wrote a book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, How Progressives Have Convinced Us That America is Evil and It Must Be Destroyed. In his book, he says the philosophy that derides any notion of American unity is a lie, and it bathes that which links us, like Abraham Lincoln's comments, bonds of affection and mystic cords of memory, it bathes us in that in acid, disintegrating our ties and casting us all adrift. Shapiro says, I call this strain of thought disintegrationism. His book talks about disintegrationism. He says, in order to argue that America's philosophy is wrong-headed, her culture diseased, and her history evil, disintegration-isms must engage in an extraordinarily selective reading of reality. They must hone in in excruciating detail on American sins, which in context would be fine, he says, but that robs that history of all context and subsequent history. President Barack Obama, I would add, did so masterfully. He always gave that, well, uh, when people ask him, do you think America is exceptional? He didn't. But he always gave a very cultured answer. Like, well, uh, you know, the people of Greece, he once said, and he used Greece as an example, pathetically upside-down country. He said the people of Greece think their country is exceptional. I suppose that we should think or we think our country is exceptional as well. And this has manifested itself in the obsession with canceling people and past presidents that they deem unacceptable who present something they disagree with. Shapiro also appropriately links capitalism as an equal evil in the minds of the deceived. The Seattle question about how all the violence is linked together, well, that's how. It's linked together through this strain of, of this idea of what Marx and Engels published today, some time ago. That's how it all comes together. These demonstrations in Seattle and Portland, Chicago, Detroit, wherever, they're not about injustice, black or otherwise. They're about destroying an America that these martyrs have been conditioned to hate, and America deserves it because America's evil in their minds. In my lifetime, the liberals who embraced the words of John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address, he claimed that Americans were willing to, quote, quoting John F. Kennedy, pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe in order, in order to assure the survival and success of liberty. But now these people today, who claim the same party affiliation as Kennedy, have moved way beyond that, downward. They have now cast such lots aside because they no longer even want liberty to succeed. They're now progressive, and they want some form of socialism, whether it's Bernie Sanders or some kid on the street burning somebody's car. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. They all hold the same views. Senator Kamala Harris of California, now Vice President of the United States, 
said last year that identity politics shouldn't be askewed. In fact, she argued the phrase was designed to, quote, minimize and marginalize issues that impact all of us. In other words, that was her way of agreeing with all this. She's now president of the United States and probably running this country, and more so as we proceed, because Joe Biden clearly is not in a mental state for the pressures of the presidency. Democrat Beto O'Rourke, remember him? He used to ride his skateboard. He pretended to be a Hispanic. He's not. He's a white guy. But he's a nut, highly educated, but a nut. When he was running for president in the primaries, he would cruise in on his skateboard and one thing or another. He's going to be, he's going to hold a, a top ca- uh, cabinet level, or not, I don't know if it's cabinet, but a top level uh, position in the Biden administration. Joe Biden already has announced that. He just hasn't announced what it is as far as, far as I know. But anyway, Democrat Beto O'Rourke, when he was running for president in the primaries, he said more than once, I'm quoting him, this is a country that has been defined by foundational systemic epidemic racism since the very founding of this country. These people are attacking every institution and foundation upon which this country was built. The rioters are burning, looting, defacing, canceling in that same spirit. John wrote about the Antichrist in the Gospel of John. He said, the Antichrist will come and so on. And then he said, but the spirit of Antichrist is among us now. Well, the spirit of hating America, the spirit of lostness, of not having any direction, any moral compass, because we have excluded the Bible from the marketplace. We've excluded the Bible to the best of our ability from the classroom and from everywhere, anywhere that can impact a person's life. We have to fight to be able to say a prayer in public now. Progressives are outraged when someone suggests that they're not Christian because they consistently violate biblical teaching and their policymaking. Start the list with abortion and sex and same-sex marriage and all of the rest of it and see how long that list can grow a long way. The complicit media hailed President Biden as the most religious president in more than 50 years. And that same media joined the so-called progressive Christians most recently in denouncing Amy Coney Barrett because she's too religious. They noted that she is, and I'm quoting them, the press, and some far-left politicians. She is very Catholic. Not just Catholic, but very Catholic, meaning that she actually lived out her faith in real life. And that's bad. When leftists aren't denying their prejudice, they're often selectively citing scripture to prove that Jesus was a social warrior. Jim Wallace is very handy at that. He's raised millions of dollars, does so every year, goes from church to church. If, if he's in your church, object to that. He is not biblical. He is not telling the truth, but he leads millions of people astray. And he also also counsels far-left presidents. Barack Obama, I suspect he'll get involved with Joe Biden. I don't know that. But when leftists aren't denying their prejudice, They often selectively cite this scripture. America is about hate, and with hate being defined as anyone who disagrees with their anti-biblical beliefs because they are religious. That's where we are today. Obama infamously described anyone who is not a progressive as someone who is bitter. Remember, that was on tape. Bitter. Clinging to their guns and their Bibles. He seemed oblivious to the fact that what he was revealing about himself and others like him. 
America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and values. Today's cancel culture is not only intent on erasing and eliminating America's history and those who led, but the faith that led us to greatness. Donald Trump talked about make America great again. I think he had some glimmer of understanding, maybe more than I think, of what really made America great. I don't know. I don't know Donald Trump. But I do know the policies that he put in place, pretty much all, particularly social policies, supported the idea that a godless society is going to fail in America and a God-honoring society in America is going to succeed. He got that part. Consider this. Daniel Webster, he was born in 1782, died in 1852. He was a second-generation leader. He wasn't a founding father. Noah Webster was. That's a different guy. He's honored today, Daniel Webster, in our capital, unless they pulled him out of there overnight and threw him in the Potomac River. I don't know. haven't heard that they did. But anyway, there's a statue of him in there. And the reason is because he was one of the most effective, one of prolific orators ever to serve our country, served in both the House, the Senate, and other jobs as well. But Webster said this at the conclusion of a longer speech where he was addressing some of the issues that he, they faced in that second generation of America that we face today. He concluded his speech with this, and I'm quoting him, Daniel Webster. Finally, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers were brought hither by their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light, labored in its hope. They sought to incorporate its principles with the elements of their society and to diffuse its influence through all the institutions, civil, political, and literary. He continued, he said, let us cherish those sentiments and extend this influence still more widely in full conviction that this is the happiest society which partakes in the highest degree of the mild and peaceful spirit of Christianity. A generation before Daniel Webster, founding father Patrick Henry stood up and told his colleagues on the brink of war, he said, when people forget God, tyrants forge their chains. We've not extended our founding Christian principles today in the 21st century, not into our institutions. We have instead worked to remove God from all of our public life. We don't cherish these beliefs. We mock them. We mock our Creator by declaring that His plan for male and female is wrong. We're all in transition. We don't know if we're a man or a woman. Neither do our children who are four and five years old. God help us. His model of family, God's model of family is irrelevant and unnecessary because we feel differently. His standard of absolute truth is a joke because we have not only forgotten God, but we've worked to completely cancel him from our culture and our belief system and to remake him in the image that we want him to be. God is whoever we say he is, and Scripture says whatever we want it to say. Until we get that figured out, our cities are going to continue to burn and our store windows will be smashed and goods will be looted and the news will report that the constitutional protests were mostly peaceful last night. But if God's people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and ask God to forgive us of our sin, he will forgive us, and he will restore our land. But only then, only then, will we begin to find the answers for a smoldering and burning and despairing Seattle and Chicago and Portland and Baltimore 
Well, thanks for being with me today. Always a pleasure, my pleasure. I'll see you right here on Monday. Have a great weekend.